0: 97.1 7-1, talk. Podcast.
1: Well, I opened up the show asking where Governor Parson was on this issue of the Red State Rebellion because Greg Abbott, I'm going to read some of this letter here. Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, kind of threw down um, with the feds yesterday, the Biden administration, on the issue of the razor wire that's on the border. The Supreme Court, you know, it's important because um, and Greg Abbott's made this clear. The Supreme Court did not hear arguments and made a ruling. They actually just deferred to the uh, the appeals court, and that's why... There was this order now by the feds to get rid of the razor wire because they are the ones in charge of immigration, even though they're not doing their job. Greg Abbott's position is this. The federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. This is the letter that he sent to the Biden administration. The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now. President Biden has refused to enforce those laws and has even violated them. The result is that he had smashed records for illegal immigration. Now, um, what happened in the aftermath of this is a bunch of different states, including Pretty much all the states around us, Iowa, uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma, they weighed in with support in this Red State Rebellion. Governor Parson in Missouri has been very quiet about this, although we are told, Greg, you just, um, Greg, Fred, you just got the information. (laughs) Right. I don't know why I just called you Greg, but I did. Uh, Jonathan Shiflett who is the press person for the governor, says Governor Parson did join a statement with 25 other GOP governors. The statement just went out and we'll post it on social media because I was wondering where he was. It just seemed like such a layup for Missouri and for Governor Parson. But this letter is interesting from Greg Abbott. He says, despite having been put on notice in a series of letters, one of which I delivered to him by hand, President Biden has ignored Texas's demand that he perform his constitutional duties. And he kind of ticks things off. president violated his oath to faithfully execute immigration laws. He's instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes that mandate the detention of illegal immigrants by wasting taxpayer dollars to tear open the border security infrastructure in Texas. The president has enticed illegal immigrants away from the 28 legal entry points along the state's southern border. Uh, the bridges where nobody drowns into the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande. Um, he's absolutely right about this, and it was a great letter. And we'll see what happens because now you have Democrats and folks on the other side encouraging Greg Abbott to federalize the national. I'm sorry, encouraging Joe Biden to federalize the National Guard. So I don't know where this takes us, but it is interesting, and it is absolutely a standoff right now with the Feds. And we'll we'll keep you posted on that. A couple other things that I wanted to mention here before we get into Fred's news. Fred, did you hear this story? about the um, the california this is California, so it shouldn't surprise people, nanny state nonsense—this guy by the name of Scott Wiener, who is introducing—I think it's Wiener. I mean, it was Anthony Wiener, right? It's W-I-E-N-E-R. That's Wiener, right? I don't want to, you know— Yep. Okay, we're just going with with Wiener. California Senator Scott Wiener is introducing a new set of bills to make streets safer across the state, including one that would require any new car or truck made or sold in the state in 2027 or later to have technology installed in the car called speed governors. So what he wants to do is he wants to make it physically impossible for vehicles to go 10 miles per hour over the posted speed limits. He says... (laughs) This is my—wait, i got to get something ready and queued up here. He says, I don't think it's an overreach at all. <laughs> He's <did> great. <laughs> thank you, Kenny. I don't think most people would view it as an overreach. We have speed limits. I think most people support speed limits because people know that speed kills. Ladies and gentlemen, with all due respect, if you think that this is a good idea— and I know there's people out there, well, rules are rules, Mark. Come on, the speed limit's the speed limit. What's wrong with having a limit on your car where you can only go 10 miles over the speed limit? That seems reasonable, right? That's what this guy says in California— it's not reasonable. Here's one reason. It's anti-American at its core. All this nanny state. Guy like Scott Weiner thinks that he can make people safer because he's going to reduce speed on, on a car and, and make them do what? Uh, it's baffling that all these people—and we have folks around here. By the way, I always hesitate. Fred, you know this. Whenever I hear some of these goofy stories from California— I'm worried that someone's going to do it here. This one particularly worries me because the mindset of a lot of people who don't think about freedom and nanny state nonsense is to say, oh, and I bet there's Republicans. I bet there's people listening right now that would have no issue with this. You're insane if you don't have an issue with it, is what I'd say. No offense to those people that I just call crazy. But you, if if you go down this rabbit hole, they will never ever stop with the way that they want to control you. You know, for example, in the future, they might prevent you from going to the beach and breathing outside. Oh, we already did that. That's right. So we can't go back to that. But I I can't even believe, and you would hope, even in California, that something like that is not going to have much of a future. We'll see.
0: The the only time I've come in contact with a governor on a vehicle, and I think it was needed in this case, was in Florida when we were on vacation on the golf cart that we had. (laughs) Didn't they have had speed, it on the golf cart? Yeah, it didn't have a speedometer on it, and you could only go 20 miles an hour, so we didn't really know how fast you were going when you're in it. And my sons were driving it, so, you know, they'd floor it, but you <laughs> couldn't go beyond 20. Right, it had right. a governor on it. Well, that was I, the only time it was needed.
1: I remember back in, in 1987, I uh, the only time I ever lived um, – Outside, Well, it's not true. The only time I really kind of worked out of radio was for a very short period in Chicago in 1987. I lived with my aunt and uncle up there. And Fred, I've told you the story. I worked for U.S. Sprint. It was just miserable. Thank God I didn't keep that job. I did customer service. It was- Can you imagine me doing customer service first and foremost? (laughs) Uh, But I I bring it up because I moved up there. I had my my friend Don, who I just saw recently, he drove the U-Haul up there. And I think the U-Haul, like trucks like that, sometimes they have governors where if you rent a car- Now, that makes sense. I get it, especially with a vehicle like that that- people are driving that they're not used to driving. And I think that truckers and trucking companies have things that they use. I'm all for something like that. If you have a business, you want to maintain safety with your drivers. But I do not want the state government, the local government, the federal government telling me how hard I can press on the accelerator in my car. The other thing that's funny about this is they want to go to all these EVs. EVs are Despite the fact that you can't charge them because they're not, they're crazy fun to drive because they're so damn fast. I have a fast car and I'm pissed because all the uh, EVs are faster than my car. And
0: I'm not going to drive
1: fast, but
0: I want the ability to drive fast if I have to get out of the way of something.
1: Right? It's it's nonsense. It really is. But stay tuned on that one. Fred is so Abby. He's been talking about it all day. (laughs) He's so geared up. Sue's not here. These I've allegations are
2: deeply concerning.
1: Does the president have any
2: comment?
0: We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no.
2: And now, Sue's News. Sponsored by Mr. Appliance. Speedy expert service. Mister Appliance.com.
0: So, let's start out with uh, a bit of sound that I've got from, a, I think it was a TikTok video uh, with Michigan Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, yesterday, she just bewildered everybody with this video that she posted with what's called Professor Potato in which she announced her plan to reduce the cost of community college. Hey, Governor Whitmer, how's it going?
2: Hi, Professor Potato. I wanted to share some Yukon Gold News with you, my best bud. What is it? We both agree that every Michigander deserves an opportunity to go to college without frying their bank account. Absolutely. A higher education helps you learn more skills, pursue
0: your passions, and even plant your roots right here in Michigan.
2: But for too many, college is financially out of reach. That's why I'm so excited to announce an appealing plan.
0: Oh, Uh I know what you're Uh planning. This year, we
1: will work together to make the first two years of community college tuition-free for every high school graduate. So I did learn something here, Fred, because the the bottom line... You know, question is, is there a question that comes to mind when you hear this? Well, do they grow a lot of potatoes in Michigan? They do. Hmm. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Michigan is home to over 80 potato growers, most of which are multi-generational family farms. The potato industry, this is what the interwebs tell me, contribute about $1.24 billion to Michigan's economy, including more than 3,000 jobs in potato production and processing. There you go. If you go to MIPotato.com, which is MichiganPotato.com, you'll have the Potatoes 101, you know, lesson there for you. They'll tell you everything that you ever wanted to know about potatoes in Michigan but were afraid to ask.
0: That was just painful to listen to, though. I yeah, it was. was, that yeah. was cringe. I, don't, I don't know who her advisors are saying that, you know, that's appealed well, to the
1: uh, potato crowd. Some <laughs> people think that, you know, she's got some potential national, uh, right? you know, I don't think so. But we'll see. And
0: didn't I hear that that was, I think, President Biden's original choice for VP? For VP, Gresham, She's right. been mentioned
1: along those lines for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But then I think President Obama suggested... Well, he chose
1: so well, yeah. you know, when he changed his mind. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is out uh, revealing its list of uh, movies.
0: They've got 55 movies over time that still have a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So I guess... It's really hard to get a hundred percent. I think it is. Yeah. Because everyone would have to to approve it, approve of it. Uh, in May 2021, the one movie that had a hundred percent rating, Paddington Two, the sequel. One negative review marked it into the 99 club. Oh. You
1: know what's funny about that is that I, I remember, and I've seen both those movies, and I remember seeing that rating, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty generous for Paddington too. It was a very, very clever movie. It was pretty good. Well, hmm. yeah. So explain. I some don't know if it's 100, you know, rotten. Well, I mean, if the way the tomato meter works is if you have a positive review, and it could be just marginally positive, you're going to get the uh, the spot right? If you get the green splotch, that's not a good thing. And it's, I think, below 60%. Now, if you're in the, even if you're in the upper 60s or 70%, think about it. That's seven out of 10 critics, six out of 10 critics that say, yeah, this is worth seeing. So that's how they kind of come up with the figures. So some of these
0: um, 55, um, 99% movies, uh, Finding Nemo, I think that makes sense, Paddington yeah. 2, Apollo 11, great movie. Uh, Sean the Sheep movie. I've seen that. I thought it was pretty good, but it's been a long time. Casablanca, on the waterfront, Chinatown, and Goldfinger; those are all in the the ninety nine percent ranking. Oh, right now there's one movie up there that's getting ninety nine percent rot on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's The Bear. I don't know if you've seen that or heard of. Well, The
1: Bear, the bear is um, a TV show. You're talking about? You're not oh, talking about? It? I guess yeah. they included TV shows. That's the Hulu oh. show, right? Okay. Yeah.
0: Yep. So The Bear is at ninety nine percent.
1: A new ra- ranking. Cocaine Bear is the movie. Uh, and also, I don't think it's quite yeah, as high, yeah, although I like uh, that too. Although it could be since it's cocaine. <laughs> yeah, there all there right. Goes. So
0: um, the Wall Street Journal today has come out with its annual list of the best and worst airlines of 2023. And um, this was done before we've got the Boeing door incident and all the other problems.
1: Um, number. Here's v- what I can tell you without knowing the list. Okay. Let, let me just go out on a limb here. Here's what I can guarantee you. No matter what the list says, Fred, American and United are not amongst, well, let's say let's say it this way. If we're coming up with the worst airlines, let's nominate them, United and American.
0: Well, <laughs> they, they picked nine. American and United were not at the bottom. Delta. They should have been. Delta, oh, i put Delta at the bottom, Delta too. Delta was number one for the third year in a row. Alaska Airlines came in second. That was before the door blew off. <laughs> um budget airline allegiant is number three i flew allegiant to uh las vegas last time yeah. i went out there it was good it was good southwest was number four american is number five united is number six spirit is number seven frontier is number
1: eight And uh, coming in dead last is JetBlue. Okay. Well, it's just a silly list because there's only a couple that are halfway decent. I think Delta's not as bad as the rest. And Southwest, I certainly would put up at the top. Some of those I've never flown. But I've flown American and I've flown United. And they suck ass nearly every time. Congratulations.
0: The rankings are based on stats like on-time arrivals, cancellation rates, and baggage handling. Uh, Let's see. Uh, The Philippines had Coldplay. Um, had a concert in the Philippines maybe a week or so ago. I yeah. know, Abby, you really wanted to go to this, I did. didn't you? I kept seeing videos on Twitter and stuff, and it just looked so beautiful there. And I was so envious of everyone that I may or may not have looked up plane tickets and decided it wasn't worth it. Well, I'll tell you who didn't have to look up a plane ticket. That's the president of the Philippines. He's a huge Coldplay fan. All right. But he used his presidential helicopter to get to the band show in manila and since it's paid for with taxpayer money critics are now you know firing at him calling it a misuse of government resources but the president's office defended the decision saying They were just trying to get around all the bad traffic. Uh, Thousands of people were stuck in a jam near the venue. Uh. And officials say that posed a security threat to the president, so he had to be helicoptered in Hmm. to the concert. Even Coldplay's frontman, Chris Martin, even commented on the traffic during the show, and he thanked fans for braving it to see them.
1: Yeah, he likes to do spontaneous
0: songs on their like second sa- stage, their side stage. And he sung about the traffic.
2: It was pretty funny.
1: I don't get that. Really?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: They have a second stage? Well, no, it's yeah. like if you're in an arena show, a lot of artists do this. You have the regular stage. It's in okay. the front. And then at the back of the stage where the soundboard is, around there, you'll have a stage that a band will go out. Coldplay's done this. Um, I, I've seen this with a bunch of different... Jonas Brothers did this, too. Yeah, they did. Where then they, they come off the stage for, like, three songs, four songs that they'll do, acoustic or whatever. It's, it's a nice touch for people who don't have the best seats and they're not close right. to the stage because they may get an up-close personal view at the back of the arena.
0: <laughs> uh, Costco is selling a two-foot-tall chocolate Easter bunny. Oh, my. Um, it's not clear if all Costco's have them. But um, people that are buying it are kind of upset because it costs $64, and it's hollow. Oh. It's not solid
1: chocolate. Yeah, forget it. I was going to say <laughs> I'm in, but chocolate. not on the hollow yeah, one. I forget know.
0: It. I know. So, Sue's News, brought to you today by Mr. Appliance, speedy expert service, MisterAppliance.com. Today's random fact. Eric Estrada didn't have a motorcycle license when he was on chips. So, all Ooh. the time on the motorcycle...
1: He was illegal. Breaking the law. That's right. Breaking the law. I need some Judas Priest. Is that it? Is that the random fact? Look at that. One week from tonight, ladies and gentlemen, Fred will go into the St. Louis Media Hall of Fame. The Hall of Famer doing Suze News this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. Coming up after 5 o'clock, our friend, my friend, Scott Jennings, 97.1 FM Talk political insider, is going to join us to talk a little bit about the aftermath of New Hampshire and the rest of the um, presidential race, if there is one. I'm not convinced there is one, but we'll talk about it with Jennings and some other things as well. Patrick Carroll here at 525 the managing editor for the foundation for economic freedom we're going to talk about some government waste issues and then an audio cut of the day paul morrow back with us this afternoon fox news contributor retired nypd inspector and of course he is the founder of ops we got some crazy cases to talk about with you paul how are you this afternoon good how are you well, I just spent a little bit of time with someone from Kansas City talking about some issues related to the stadium there, and I brought this case up. I had not heard about it. We really didn't hear about it here in St. Louis till the rest of the country did. This case goes back a couple of weeks ago in the aftermath of a Chiefs game. What the hell is going on with this one? Do you, do you have any additional insight here, Paul?
2: No, you know, I'm not sure I do. The cops are playing it very close to the chest, ongoing investigation, et etc. Uh, the chief of police gave a very unequivocal statement, which surprised me a little bit, saying yeah. this is 100 percent not a homicide. Um, that's interesting. That suggests to me that they have something more of a fact pattern than has been revealed to the rest of us. Because generally the police will leave open that kind of a door in case they develop something later. And it doesn't have to necessarily be. The uh, tenant, who is the person who is apparently hosting this party, it could be somebody else who maybe sold some bad drugs or something. So um, I think that they must be making some progress, but very clearly there's an ongoing investigation. The families are reporting that the cops are asking for the passwords to the phones. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all waiting for the uh, autopsy and toxicology reports to reveal just. What the heck happened here?
1: But some of this stuff is just so confusing. And I was scratching my head yesterday. And and then even after talking about it yesterday, we found out that there was like another guy that was there. Here's one of the family members of the victim just sort of scratching his head. I think the judge was extremely biased. Actually, that's the one from the next case. Here we go. Does he know
2: when they left or does he not? Um, Does he know if his dogs were there? Does he not? Um, There's there's way too many questions still. Mm -hmm. needing to be answered. And nobody can answer those questions in honesty except for Jordan.
1: I'm a huge football fan. I have friends that come over to my house. uh, You know, we watch games. In the aftermath of a game like that, I'd probably maybe even text a friend on Monday. This guy says he was sleeping for a couple of days. Their cars were still at his home. So there's so much of this that doesn't add up. Now, maybe there's an explanation that's going to come full circle here. But this one is weird, really
2: weird. It really is, and it's very tough to construct a narrative that makes sense of it. Um, he at first said that he was asleep, that is, Jordan Willis, the, again, the tenant who was the party. Then later his, his attorney corrected that to say, no, he had shown them out. Um, now, you know, you of course, he would have shown them out the front door uh, and uh, then gone to sleep. He says, well, if he showed them out the front door, how did they end up dead in the backyard? Um, the This all happened in the middle of the night. Um, It was 10 degrees, and there was snow cover. So somehow or other, these three guys who, according to Willis's attorney, left by the front door, end up in the backyard. A door, by the way, the back door, is a door that the attorney says wasn't used, so habitually. um, The father of one of the victims says that at least his son, the coat was still inside the house so they went out without coach. That doesn't sound to me like people who are leaving for the night. So it's very tough to construct a fact pattern here that makes any sense. Um, and then, as you say, for two days, he doesn't answer the phone. He doesn't respond to anybody. He doesn't respond when the fiancé comes to the house banging on the door. She has to break in to get to the backyard, and that's when she discovers one of the bodies. He calls the police. They stop banging on the door, and ultimately he appears holding a glass that is a wine glass that his attorney says, oh, no, it was filled with water. I don't actually believe at this point from what I know, and I don't know everything, obviously, but I don't I'm not getting the sense that this is a purposeful homicide, at least not by this tenant. Right. Um, I was kind of misquoted. uh, They cleaned it up since in a publication online that said, oh, I think this should morph into a homicide investigation. I don't know that. I don't know where it's going. I do think there's a lot of investigation left. I will throw this out. One of the things that happens when you take bad uh, bad synthetic, whether it's bad salt, fentanyl, K2, as they call it, synthetic marijuana, is that your body overheats. And we've had a number of cases here in New York. I was involved in some of them where people got uh, bad stuff and threw themselves into the river to try to cool down and ultimately drowned. So I don't know. It's pure speculation, but it's such a strange fact pattern that I'm willing to speculate a little bit. Um, the toxicology will tell us a lot, but is it possible that they ran out of the house without jackets, without coats and 10 degree weather in the middle of the night into the snow to cool down? Um, I don't really know what other explanation you could have for three grown men who were apparently in the backyard, not found for two days in the snow while the homeowner slept inside oblivious it all.
1: Well, it's, it's as good a theory as I've heard yet, and I can't wait to hear more answers. All right, so let's go from that bizarre case. And every time I hear things in in the news, I'm always looking for what am I missing here? And this was one that I thought, well, what am I missing here? you got a young woman who is um, not only accused, but she's found guilty of stabbing her boyfriend 109 times, but the judge only sentences her to probation on the conviction of involuntary manslaughter because she's in some sort of marijuana psychosis. So what's What's the true story here and what happened? Because you don't hear, I mean, first of all, Paul, 109 times, how long would that even take? And I know that she, she apparently stabbed herself in the neck and maybe even tried to harm herself. But this is another one of those bizarro cases. Yeah. So,
2: you know, interestingly, she was a lot more efficient in killing him than killing herself, uh, right? Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, call me skeptical. Um, you know, I think what you just ran into here was a California judge who was hell bent on letting her out. And apparently that is his M.O., um, under California law, impairment, intoxication is not a defense to a criminal charge unless that impairment is done to you involuntarily. That is to say somebody forces it on you or tricks you into it. And, of course, conveniently, that is the narrative that her defense floated, that he was smoking marijuana with him. He forced upon her the last bong hit. Right. And that put her over the edge into this uh cannabis psychosis and i think one of the reasons that the narrative had to go that way is because you needed the period beforehand where she could say she remembers what went on and then of course the last one only the last one is the one that put her over the edge now look i'm not saying she was in her right mind 109 times but at the end of the day the jury found the jury is the fact finder that's the way our system is constructed coast to coast the jury decided that the facts were the did not have a forcible impairment. That is to say she was responsible for what she did. The judge then uses the same language that the jury rejected in sentencing her just to probation. It was incredibly foolish because he. I think he's put the whole thing in jeopardy because what he did, you can appeal a sentence as a prosecutor. You can. And you can do it in California. Okay. You can. And you can say that the judge was too lenient, but it can't be based on opinion. It has to be that he went outside the law. Well, the jury found that he was responsible, and they're the fact finders. He then essentially countermands that finding a fact in laying out the sentence. I think that could be appealable, and I'm just going to say we may not have heard the last of this thing.
1: So the other thing you wrote about, just as a side note here, involuntary manslaughter in California could carry up to four years in prison, but it's not a mandated prison term, right?
2: That, that's right. Even though that it's up to four years, he can do what he did, uh, as long as he does it for the right reasons. But, I, you know, he may have talked himself into a little bit of mess here.
1: Did, did she testify? Do you know? Did she take the stand? She did. Yeah, she, okay. she did.
2: Yeah. And they painted her as the victim and the dead boyfriend as a bully. And, you know, they turned him into the perp. Look, that's our system. It's an adversarial system. I get it. Um, it must have been brutal on the family because the guy is dead and they painted him as the aggressor. You know, it it, it was all but, well, yeah, he deserved it.
1: Yeah, um, this is the, and I almost played this accidentally, this is the father of the man who was killed. I think the judge was
0: extremely biased. He has set a precedent in California where it appears to be okay to smoke marijuana and commit a violent crime and you're only gonna get probation. She's not gonna learn from this experience. This is not going to make her think. She just got away with murder.
1: Paul, he makes an interesting point about the precedent there because it, it's just so weird. And I know all these cases are different, but this one certainly did not make a whole lot of sense. I'll be curious to see if they appeal it. What Are you on top? Uh, I know you're on top of usually all these things, but I have not been dialed in or as dialed into the Eugene Carroll case. Are you following that close? I guess President Trump took the stand in that, right? In which, Oh, yeah,
2: that case. Yeah, he took the stand very, very briefly, a few minutes. Um, look, him and that judge are not exactly sending each other holiday cards. And, uh, you know, he was uh, saying, I don't know this woman. The judge was saying, you're out of order, et cetera. It seems to devolve into a sniping match every time they're in the same room together. Um, you know, I don't think I'm telling anybody anything new by saying that uh, I find this case questionable. A lot of people do. So long after the fact, he's trying to get in some evidence from an interview she gave to Anderson Cooper where even she made light of the whole thing. Um, It's a big, messy case that realistically would not have seen the light of day in any place else other than New York, because the statute ran so long ago, but New York City passed an ordinance, New York State, I should say, passed an ordinance As a result of the Harvey Weinstein situation, that you can reach back on these cases a lot longer than you could have in the past. And that's how the whole thing comes to light. So it really looks very targeted.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. So there was a there's a window to go back further because of the whole thing that in the aftermath of Harvey. I guess that makes sense, right? Because there was a lot of Me Too stuff that came out. Paul, always great to have you on. I appreciate you worked up about anything else you want to squeeze in here.
2: Uh, I would just uh, do a little plug for my uh, my website, if I could. And yeah, And my absolutely. blog, Opsest.org, is the website. And, uh, you know, you can sign up there for the newsletter. It's free. And, uh, you know, send out two or three things a week. And uh, it's growing a lot. And, you know, doing everything I can to keep up with it. But, of course, we appreciate all the support.
1: It is outstanding. I check it out on a regular basis. Paul, great to have you on. org. if you want to check it out. We'll have you back soon. Thank you, Mark. All right, take care. 440 97, one fm talk. I'll take a break here. Coming up, I mentioned Scott Jennings is going to be with us after the top of the hour. We're going to talk a little bit about the New Hampshire primary results and just what all this means moving forward and also the uh, Red State Rebellion. Let me give you just a little update on that. We started the show this afternoon mentioning that there were You know, a couple of dozen red state governors from uh, all over the country, not only in the Midwest, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, West Virginia, Virginia, all through support, through statements and on social media behind Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, as he makes an effort to keep his state from being invaded and basically calling out the fed saying look you're not doing your job so we're going to put this razor wire back up we're going to call the national guard in now you've had um all these states governors my question as we began the show here this afternoon is where the hell was governor parsons well uh, governor parsons sometimes we add the s to that and we're not supposed to do that well he has issued a statement let me see if it's up right now because um we reached out this afternoon and we were wondering where the statement was i do not see it is on his socials yet um no it's there okay here it is well president biden and the federal government failed to secure our southern border. The states must stand together. We support Governor Abbott and the state of Texas in their efforts to end the free flow of drugs and illegal immigrants into our country. Now, I'm glad that Governor Parson did that. I, I've heard from some people on social media saying they called the governor's office to ask that question throughout the course of the day. We asked that question. We sent his spokesperson the question in particular in the two o'clock hour and said, hey, what's going on here? Because to me, it didn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. It's a complete layup for Governor Mike Parson to weigh in on this. And uh, he did not in the aftermath of his state of the state speech, but he finally has this afternoon.
0: It's unfortunate that we had to go there. It's unfortunate that there is a governor in Texas, Governor Abbott, who has politicized this issue of what's happening on the border. And it's not making people's lives safer.
2: It's a very uninformed comment on our part. There's really only one person in America
0: not doing their job, and that's the president of the United States who's not enforcing immigration laws.
1: I'm I'm so confused by KJP, but I'm, I'm usually confused by KJP because I don't understand how he's politicizing it. Look, his state is literally being invaded. We see it on Fox every day. And I've said this before, I don't know how much this stuff is on CBS News or ABC or CNN, but it's certainly not manufactured. We have... Hundreds of thousands of people that are pouring across the border, and they don't seem to want to do anything about it. So Greg Abbott does want to do something about it. He's taking a stand. We have what is now being dubbed the Red State Rebellion. Missouri finally, took a little while, Governor Parson, signed on to that this afternoon. We're going to keep you posted. Um, This is interesting, maybe, maybe not as surprising, because it comes from what I like to call the People's Republic of Wisconsin. I spent 10 years up there. I mean, Madison is essentially like Moscow. It's a lovely place beautiful beautiful uh city they throw a great halloween party i caught my largest smallmouth bass ever in madison wisconsin which was like a five pound smallmouth in a tournament and that's a for those of you who fish that's a pretty darn good smallmouth bass it's a pretty good size largemouth bass but it was really good and we won the tournament by the way back then that was like 20 something years ago um but this is a story that comes from madison and and it it's it's not as surprising because it comes from there, I think, but it, it should be shocking nonetheless. So here's the story as told by M.D. Kittle and The Federalist, and this has kind of gone out there in the last couple of days. It was a mandatory reorientation for first-year University of Wisconsin law students last week that included a survey prompting participants to share racial slurs and instruction that colorblindness is bad and that racial minorities cannot be racist according to a source who attended Friday's session. So, you know, you, you have a kid that goes to college, they graduate from, maybe they went to Mizzou, maybe they went to SLU, maybe they went to Marquette up in Milwaukee, and then they go to law school at the University of Wisconsin, We've seen some of this nonsense even with medical schools. I remember playing the audio last year from the graduation ceremony for the medical school at the University of Minnesota. And they were basically in very cult-like fashion chanting all this stuff to reinforce their anti-racism and other stuff. So this is, as it was described in the Federalist, like other... um, Things that are along these lines that are dubbed diversity, equity and inclusion programming. The presentation preached the usual dogmas of Marxist steeped critical race race theory and anti-racism that have been all over this country right now. So colorblindness, you see, negates the cultural values, norms, expectations and life experiences of people of color, declared one of the pamphlets. This is and some of this stuff has become, you know pretty standard when it comes to the DEI stuff. By saying we are not different, that you don't see the color, you're also saying you don't see your whiteness. This denies the people of color's experience of racism and your experience of privilege. So, again, I think a lot of us were taught that we're not supposed to see color, right? We are supposed to see color, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know. If you see someone of color, a black person, Asian person, Hispanic— make it known to them that you see that they're that color and apologize to them for being white and, you know, please express some white guilt. Students were also lectured by Joey Oteng, who bills himself as a social justice educator, PhD student, lawyer, blogger, and educational consultant. One of the things that's sickening about some of this stuff is this is a cottage industry. There are people out there like this guy, Joey Oteng, making a ton of money to try to brainwash kids that have already been brainwashed, we now know, since kindergarten, right? He became the Dean's Fellow for Inclusive Excellence. At Ohio State University and the Moritz College of Law back in 2022, and he came and did this DEI session for the freshman law school students, which, by the way, that was mandatory, all right? So the spokesperson, when the Federalist reaches out, John Lucas, who's a guy that works for UW, says, well, this was a session that was held in partial fulfillment of ABA, American Bar Association, Standard 303's requirement that law schools provide education to their students on bias, cross-cultural competency, and racism— um, there's a guy at University of Chicago, we should probably try to have him on, and his name is Brian Leiter, and, and he's been really vocal on this stuff, and he's pointed out that the updated standards um, are am- from the ABA are ambiguous, costly, burdensome, ineffective, risky, and counterproductive, but apparently not at the University of Wisconsin Law School. So when the Federalists reached out about this, they didn't want to talk about, About it too much outside of just giving that statement. But what they're trying to do here is, and this is what the Dean for Student Affairs at the law school sent to students reorientation is intended to just do that, reorient you now that you have your first semester of law school behind you and a new semester ahead. Students were instructed to review an article about 28 common racist attitudes and behaviors. They had to complete a race timeline worksheet, this was a two hour plus session. According to um, people who were there, and the, uh, the dean for student affairs, she even said this, the presentation was a follow-up to the DEI session that the would-be lawyers attended during law school's orientation at the beginning of the fall semester. The source who spoke to the Federalist anonymously said that the guy that came in and did the session, Oteng, used a, is it Mentimeter? It's an interactive survey to gather real-time feedback from participants about race, Racism, societal biases. Under the prompt, I understand institutional and systemic racism. The survey asked respondents to answer on a scale that ranges from unsure to confidently. One section bizarrely asked students, this one's weird, I think, share words, phrases, stereotypes, slurs, words of bias associated with racial groups such as black folks. That's what it said in the documents. Middle Eastern communities. Latinx communities. Well, actually, it says Latin E-O-A-X communities. Native, indigenous communities and white communities. So when students were asked to provide slurs and other words for black people, well, of course, the N-word comes up quite a bit, right? As did the term cracker when they were asking for slurs to describe white people. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes I laugh. if Funny is funny. The story says one respondent described white people as boring as blank. I don't know about that. Uh, The source says there was a lot of chuckling from the facilitator and some in the crowd, especially during the section on the stereotypes on white people. And then when it came to slurs about black people, Native Americans, Asians, and Middle Eastern people, it was very serious. So if you make fun of white people, it's fine. When it got to white people and the derogatory terms used for white people, O-Tang was basically saying it was okay to laugh at the white slurs because white people, you see, don't have any problems. That's what he basically told uh, people there. Um, There were other things in the survey that were weird. One participant said that they had to answer this question. People find me attractive because of my race on a scale of strongly disagree to strongly agree. That doesn't make any sense. The survey asked respondents to answer whether they think people of color can be racist. But the literature made it clear there's only one answer there. I've learned this over the years, right? Let's first define racism with this formula. It said racism equals racial prejudice plus systemic institutional power. To say people of color can be racist denies the power imbalance inherent in racism. That's the 28 Common Racist Attitudes handout. It said that uh, certainly people of color can be and are prejudiced against white people. That was part of their societal conditioning. A person of color can act on prejudices to insult or hurt a white person. But there's a difference between being hurt and being oppressed. People of color as a social group do not have the societal institutional power to oppress white people as a group. An individual person of color abusing a white person while clearly wrong, they say generously. No person should be insulted, hurt, et cetera. But that person is just acting out a personal racial prejudice, not racism. So if the black person or the Asian person does something, well, again, that's just something that they're doing on a personal basis. You're not doing that on a personal basis. You are speaking for your entire race. So as a white person, if you do something like that, they're not going to just focus on you being a KKK member every person that is white i'm a white supremacist if you're listening right now and you're white you're a white supremacist just so you know and then there was a worksheet that was handed out the worksheet said and they asked students to tell the truth respond with the two prompts from the list including a racist belief that i'm struggling with a time that i said behaved in a racist way and how deep racism goes in my life. Now, I could criticize the students at UW because I guarantee you a good portion of them, even though it was Madison, Wisconsin, thought it was ridiculous, but they want to get their degrees, right? They want to be their lawyers. So they don't speak up except for the anonymous person that took it to the Federalist. Very revealing.
2: Get more at 971talk.com.